This is the Lubetkin on Communications podcast, episode number 51 for Friday, June 7th, 2013. Welcome to the Lubetkin on Communications podcast. My name is Steve Lubetkin, uh, podcast Steve on Twitter. I am the moderator of these podcast programs, which cover communications, public relations, and journalism, and technology issues. In this program, we're presenting a recording of a presentation I gave earlier this week to the marketing conference of the New Jersey Bankers Association. The topic of my presentation was a content publishing strategy for banks to gain visibility in social media and in online searches. Good morning. Thank you. I have to start with a disappointing announcement. Uh, My good friend Marty Dax is speaking on the program today. He's not here to report on my presentation and therefore I will not be using profanity today. Those of you who were at my last presentation will know what that means. If you don't, you can see me afterwards. To start out, how many of your banks are using social media, have a Facebook page or a Twitter account or some combination of them? Okay. I'm going to suggest that everybody's doing it backwards. Um, It's been my experience in looking at the way social media is being used that people are very anxious to set up Twitter accounts and Facebook pages and then they're not quite sure what to do with it after that. And what I'm going to propose to you today is to think about using it in the opposite direction of what you've been doing up to now. Um, It's not about likes and it's not about followers. It's about driving people to your website where you post good quality content for them to look at and come back repeatedly to view. And in order to understand why you need to look at things backwards from where you are now, I want you to take a look at a page, and you can, you can study this in detail when you get back to your office. The page I want you to look at is on Facebook, and it is called the Condescending Corporate Brand Page. And what these folks have done is create a prototype of the typical corporate page on Facebook. And what they do are the typical kinds of posts that many companies, hopefully not yours, but many companies are guilty of on Facebook. And that is posting something like a picture of a dog with a toothbrush and asking people to like the picture, which gains you nothing for your business. Or announcing that it's national fill-in-the-blank day and asking people to tell you what they're doing for national fill-in-the-blank day. None of that really helps you in trying to engage with your customers through social media. Um, Cute animal pictures, getting people to follow you, it's it's not going to make a difference. What makes a difference is creating engagement, creating real conversations with people about topics that are of interest to them. In order to do that, you have to have something to say first. So the first thing to think about is it's not really, or it shouldn't be, a social media strategy. It should be a content publishing strategy that uses social media to tell people what you're doing. In order to get to that stage, you have to think of yourselves differently. You are now a media mogul. You are now producing content as if you were the news media covering your company. Um, We have a real problem today 
in getting coverage of any kind of company using traditional public relations. Later on today, Marty's going to tell you how to do that effectively. But the reality is, in many, many markets, you're going to be in trouble. How many of you heard about this? The Chicago Sun-Times has laid off its entire photo staff. They are now going to rely on wire photos from the Associated Press, which is not so terrible, but they're going to give their reporters iPhones and hope that they come back with usable pictures. Okay, I'm sure many of you are familiar with members of the mainstream media, particularly in New Jersey, who have been laid off, taken buyouts, are no longer there. The fact of the matter is, no one is going to come to cover your branch opening. No one is going to cover your big check presentation. I know we had a picture from the Bankers Association of the big check for the foundation, but my advice is to stop taking the big check pictures because there's no place to use them except on your own website. Pictures need to tell a story, and you need to use them differently, and you need to learn how to be the media in order to use them differently. Um, unless there's blood on the floor at your branch, and I hope that never happens, or one of your executives being let out in handcuffs, and I really hope that never happens, you're not going to get the media to cover day-to-day -day events. You have to cover them yourself. And I didn't come up with this idea all by myself. Tom Foremsky, who used to write for the Financial Times of London and now writes the Silicon Valley Watcher blog out of California, came up with the concept that every company now needs to be a media company. So where do you start? You start with a very robust website. John talked briefly about content management systems, or CMS. This is the absolute best way to manage your website, and it frees you from the high priesthood of only having the IT department have access to publish things. One of the professional organizations in the communications industry last week had the, um, the chief executive officer of the organization resign, and they were not able to post the news release on their own website because whoever had the keys to the website was not there. They couldn't publish it. They had to publish it on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter, and they could not put it on their own website. You need to have a website that's robust and that is designed as a publishing tool that you can manage, that you can put content on. And there's a, you know, a trust factor because a lot, in a lot of companies, how many of you have companies where the IT department are the only ones who can put stuff on the website? Oh, that's good. How many of you marketing department can post stuff directly? That's great. That's good. The, the content management systems, the popular ones that you'll hear about are things like WordPress, which is the one that I love. Drupal is another one. How many of you are using any of these? Raise your hand as you hear the name. Drupal? WordPress, WordPress? great. Wonderful. Uh, Joomla? Some Joomla people. The designers, the people who design websites love Drupal and Joomla because it gives them a lot of control. For the vast majority of us, WordPress is more than adequate for publishing to a robust website. Now, there's one thing about WordPress. It started out as a blogging platform. And the default installation of WordPress in my opinion, has it backwards. Because when you install a WordPress website and you open it up, you have a homepage, you have an, you know, it's homepage about us, services, and blog somewhere off on the side. And to me, the blogging tool is the most powerful part of that publishing platform because that's where you publish news items. Forget about blogging. Nobody's going nobody's to read a bank blog. People are going to read news items that a bank publishes about what it's doing, about its thought leadership and expertise in various subject areas. And so switching it around, and you can do this when you set up the, the site, 
you, you put the blog part of it on the front page. You just don't call it blog. You call it news. And um, you'll forgive me for showing my own site, but I'll give you an example of how it looks. Your, your, your front page becomes a news magazine with news stories scrolling down the page in reverse order from the most recent. And you get, you get more information about the topics than you do about the company. Okay, So nobody wants to read, welcome to our website, we are a bank that does blah, blah, blah. They want to hear what you know. And so creating a site that has news on the front is the first step. The second step is to train your PR staff to think differently. And this requires some trust on the part of your management. They have to become reporters covering the company and reporting on the activities. And it's not about putting out press releases about it. It's about going to the event, taking pictures of the event, shooting video of the event, and posting it in near real time on your website. Every, everything that you do. If your bank president goes out and gives a speech, you send somebody to it and cover it just as if you were the news media covering it. The reason you do this has a lot to do with how people search for solutions to problems. I've done some training for the State Department. And in a room about this size, we had people of a wide age demographic. I put up on the screen a picture of the logo that shows two fingers and a yellow colored book. How many people know what that is? You have to be of a certain age. If you don't know, let's, let's do it the other way. How many people don't know what that logo is? Okay. Now, in this room, we have, you know, forgive me, but the demographic's a little bit older in this room. But people below about 30 to 35 are very likely not to know what that is because they've never used it. They've never searched for a business in the yellow pages, right? You show them a Google logo, everybody knows what that is. And uh, I even heard a, a radio interview the other day where they said, we're not allowed to mention Google. So I'm not going to say, if you want to look this up, you have to something it. But everybody knows what he meant, right? Um, so the fact of the matter is that just like they don't understand the yellow pages as a place to look, they're also not reading newspapers. People below about 30. If they read a print newspaper, it's very rare. I've even been in journalism classes at universities where journalism majors are asked, how many of you read a printed newspaper on a daily basis? And out of 100 kids, three raise their hands, which, is, which says, now, how many of you are producing really nice print ads that go in the local newspaper showing young people sitting around a table writing in a checkbook? Good. You're not doing that anymore. That's a good sign. Um, because they don't read it. They find their business partners mostly through Google. And, and in order to be in a Google search, you have to have good content on a regular basis. We found this out a couple of years ago. I was doing some work with one of our other speakers, Mike Charenson, um, for Walmart. And it was very hard to get reporters to come out and cover the events that were happening at the Walmart stores. They do grand openings, they do community events and so forth. So I started bringing my video equipment to the open house, to the grand opening, whatever, and reporting on it as if I was Channel 6. I enter, or here in New York, it'd be Channel 7, the ABC. Um, I would interview the store manager. We take pictures of the cheerleaders doing the Walmart cheer. And yes, there is a Walmart cheer. Um, we take pictures of the ribbon cutting, package it all up as if it were a news story, and we put it up on a special blog site. And before long, I started getting phone calls in the office 
I'd answer the phone, Lebeck, in communications, and they'd say, oh, what I thought this was Walmart. What time does the pharmacy close? And I'm like, why, why are they thinking that? And when I went to, I said, where did you get this number? They said, I Googled the store, and this is what came up. And it was a real aha moment because, let's see if we can get to Google. The videos were coming up very high. I don't know if I can get it to do it this time, but we'll try. People were Googling the store in the city. Okay, so now you've got Walmart. Now they're smart. They're buying the ads and they're getting the top billing. Look what's here on the page. This is video we shot at the store in Deptford in 2010. And it's still on the front page of a Google search for that store. It was at the top of the Google search in 2010. Let me tell you, that stuff shot right to the top. And so if you're producing video or audio on a regular basis on your website as a, a news story, and you don't have to do anything fancy with it. You put the proper keywords on it. Um, the thing about search engine optimization, John gave you some really good ideas with Google Analytics. There are people out there who do you know, search engine wizardry that's supposed to improve your visibility in a search. And I got to tell you, you know, some of them are very, very good, but some of them can get you in trouble because you are still going up against a company, Google, that buys PhD mathematicians and computer scientists by the boatload. You can never buy more PhD mathematicians than they can to help you with your search engine. So realistic keywords that describe the subject matter, just producing content on an organic, honest basis, and it doesn't have to be over complicated. It shouldn't look like a commercial. It should look more like a news story or a short conversation than anything overproduced. And if you put that up on your website on a regular basis, you're going to get a lot more visibility. And that's when you put it up on your website that you use the social media to tell people about it. If you have an expert on commercial loans and you do an interview with that person about some product or service wrinkle that you can provide them. You do the interview, you post the video. Some people will tell you it's good to post a written transcript of the interview on the same post as the video itself because Google, as we know, cannot index the video. They, they index the words around it. So it gives you two bites at the apple. And some people don't want to watch a video. They want to read about it. Most of the people Again, below a certain demographic, we're finding more and more that people prefer videos to, to written content. So, so that's the, the, the strategy, is, is to post it, use your, your website as a printing press and as a broadcast transmitter. Years ago, you used to have to go out and spend a lot of money for video crews and getting things on TV. You don't have those expenses anymore. Video you can do from your iPhone. And in fact, the mainstream media are training their photographers when they don't fire them to shoot video from iPhones. We were out on a video shoot last week where the uh, Home News Tribune photographer here from Central Jersey was shooting still pictures and he would pick out, pull out his iPhone and shoot some video, and he had to package up a video, and they're expected to do that. The reporters are expected to do it as well. One thing that a lot of people make the mistake of when they're doing content strategies is they take the great content they're producing and put it on Facebook directly. As a photographer and videographer who's very conscious of ownership of rights to content, um, I am not a fan of posting directly to Facebook. And the reason is, if you read that terms of service agreement that we all don't read, 
and click through because we want to get to the good stuff. Facebook makes a very broad assumption or of, of the ownership rights to anything you post. Now, they will tell you that it has more to do with what happens if you leave and you've shared it with somebody. They want to be able to protect themselves from the possibility that they don't have the right to share it with people. Like if you, if you close your Facebook account, but you've shared a picture with your friend, that friend is still going to see that picture, even if you delete your account. Facebook wants to cover themselves. That's what they will tell you. But the fact of the matter is, if you click agree, you've agreed that anything you post on Facebook is owned by Facebook. And people have even found, with the, the way the advertising works on Facebook, that your photos, your personal photos, could end up showing up in a Facebook ad that some of your friends see. Uh, so we don't recommend posting directly to any of the social media sites. You can post to YouTube because YouTube changed its terms of service. I, didn't, I, I used to tell people not to post on YouTube because at a, there was a time when they claimed the same ownership. People rebelled against it, particularly content producers, and they changed it. So now it's safe to post on, on YouTube. But um, what you want to do is post it to your own website and then tell people about it by posting a link to your social media sites. Now, if you're using WordPress, there are some great plugins, including the standard plugin package that comes with WordPress. I don't want to get too into the technical weeds, but there's a, when, you, when you install a WordPress website, there's a package called Jetpack, which includes a tool that automatically will publish anything you post on your site to whatever social media channels you choose. And it's really nice and simple because you don't have to think about it. You don't have to say, oh, now I have to go tell people on Facebook that I did this. Or I have to go to Twitter and tweet about it. It does it all for you. One post, publish, and it's out on all those channels almost instantaneously. And the nice thing is what it posts is a little snippet with a picture that brings people back to your site to read it. And that's what you want. If you post it on Facebook and then someday Facebook says, and let's be honest, Facebook is a business. They're having trouble making the numbers. It's not going to be too long before they look for other ways to make the numbers, one of which is likely to be going to the businesses with pages on Facebook and say to them, you know, we need some money from you for these pages. Now, for the big companies, that's not going to be a big problem. It's going to be a rounding error for General Motors or Procter & Gamble. They will buy it gladly because they like the exposure. But for smaller companies, you tell your boss that Facebook now wants $500 a year from you, Somebody may say, no, we're not going to pay that. You know, do something else. And then they say, take down all the stuff you posted there. So as an exercise, when you go home tonight, just to see how hard it is to get out of that walled garden that is Facebook, go home and see how to download a list of your friends from your Facebook profile. And if anybody's able to do it, email me and let me know how to do it, because it's almost impossible. So you don't want your content to be somewhere where someone else controls it. That's, that's the point of that message. And again, about YouTube, it's a great place to post your videos because the price is right. It's free. And there's billions of minutes of video being posted every minute. You don't have enough time in your lifetime to watch everything. But what you want to do also is learn how to embed those videos in your website. And there's a couple of real good reasons for that, one of which is the um, related videos. How many of you look at vi YouTube videos? Okay, you don't, have to, it's, you don't have to be shy. Everybody looks at them. Not at work, of course. When you, when you watch a video on YouTube, alongside the page, you get related videos, which are not always yours. Okay? So you get the, the main video, and you get some other ones over here. If you send people to your YouTube page to watch your videos, and it's about banking, 
You don't know if YouTube is going to bring up videos made by anti-bank activists or people making parody videos about banks. You can't control the experience they have. There's a very simple switch that you can activate if you embed the code on your website so that it doesn't play any other videos when you finish and it doesn't recommend any other videos. It just plays your video and at the end it says, do you want to play it again? So you can do that. You, you have more control if you put that video within your own website. Um, another good site to use for videos, by the way, is called Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O. Their player is a little bit cleaner than YouTube, and you can control it a little bit better in, in terms of branding. So you might want to take a look at that. Costs a little bit of money if you buy the pro account, but for most of you, it could, it could be a good solution as well. And so then you're promoting your content using the social media, and, and you use link shorteners on Twitter. How many of you know what a link shortener is? How many of you don't? Okay, basically what happens is if, if you're using a, a system like WordPress, it does not generate pages the way a traditional website does. It generates them from a database, and the page can be a very long URL, which will run up against or over the limits of Twitter, which is 140 characters. Link shorteners, and some of them are built in, if you use a, the plugins in WordPress, it'll automatically shorten that link. And I'm going to give you a couple of shortened links at the end of this presentation. But basically, it refers people, they click on the short link, and it takes them to the full link. It automatically knows what's what and takes you to the, to the, uh, the, the long link. One thing that's also um, an issue that comes up, I hear this a lot from prospective clients. They'll call me and say, we want to do a video, or we want to do a podcast. And I try to dissuade them from that strategy because that's not a content publishing strategy. One and done does not work if you're trying to get to the front page of a Google search. You need to do this on a, on a regular basis, so you need to budget for an ongoing process. A lot of companies have recognized this, and they're starting to produce content as if they were the media. A couple of real good examples are uh, Cisco, which has something called The Network. This is uh, newsroom.cisco.com. It's Cisco, C-I-S-C-O. Cisco is the company that makes network equipment, routers, and other devices that connect the Internet. And they basically have hired some, some journalists who go out and report on stories about what the company's doing in all these different areas of technology. Another real good example closer to home um, is down in, in my neck of the woods in South Jersey is Virtua Health System, which has created a whole separate website called virtuabroadcastnetwork.org. And they basically uh, have members of their team doing video stories about what's going on in the health system, what kind of breakthroughs, what kinds of special services they're doing. An interview down here, the third one on the, on the bottom is uh, the president of Virtua talking about the, the future. Here's one on robotics and surgery. So the idea is it, it's no longer about getting press coverage. It's about covering yourself. Again, you're not trying to sell people. You're trying to engage them by showing them your expertise. We work with a client in the insurance industry. They're not the traditional auto home life insurer. They're a global insurance reinsurance company that covers very esoteric business risks. And what they do is a series of white papers about those risks where they describe the environment for that risk, the things that people need to do to mitigate the risk, training, special equipment, whatever. 
And insurance is a part of that overall risk management portfolio. They use podcasts, audio programs, in an interview format for their subject matter experts to describe the things that people need to be doing. Now, the combination of the white papers and the podcasts is really helpful to them because the product experts don't have to spend hours and hours every day on the phone going through that stuff with people, right? Um, one of their lines of coverage is cyber liability, protecting companies from network security breaches or other uh, equipment problems in, in the cyber world. They get about 3,000 downloads of a podcast, and that's 3,000 conversations that their product guy didn't have to have to explain it to people. The people who come in after they've listened to it are ready to talk about the details. How do we get going? How do we get started? What's the first step? Um, so that's really powerful. And, and that takes me to another point, which is forget about viral video. You cannot invent a viral video. You can't, can't call John or me or somebody in and say, we need you to produce us a viral video. That stuff just doesn't happen you know, by thinking about it. It happens by accident. It happens when somebody takes a picture of his kid singing along with the guitar or something like that. But it doesn't sell stuff. Nobody's selling it, except for maybe the blend tech people. You seen the Will It Blend videos? I mean, they're... Gangnam Style. Huh? Gangnam Style song. Gangnam Style, he sold himself. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's done a very good job of selling himself. I don't know if he sold any, any of the pistachios that he's doing now. <laughs> the, the jury's still out on that. But the, the whole point is, you're not looking for 20 million views of a video. You're looking for the three or 400 or maybe 1,000 people who need your information, who are lying awake at night and saying, man, I have this financial problem. I don't have a bank solution. And they go on Google and they type in the, the problem. They don't type in the name of your bank. I'm sorry. Most of them don't. They're typing in the problem. And if you come up as one of the results in that list of solutions to the problem, how do I do a commercial loan? You know, New Jersey. If you don't come up in that list, they're not looking at you. And you've got to be probably on the first or maybe second page of those search results in order for it to work. Yeah? I just have a quick question. Sure. If one just pursue this path, how does our compliance department keep up with what we're trying to do? I mean, oh, they'll shoot themselves in the head. Correct. <laughs> yeah, the compliance. Now, just for a basic ad, basic ad, the more simple trigger terms, and I'm already dealing with a week of going back and forth yeah. with approval. So imagine a video. The question, yeah. For those of you who didn't hear, the question is, how do you deal with the compliance department on this? There has to be a new conversation, I think, with the compliance people about this stuff. Um, I think there is, this is my opinion, and again, you know, I, I don't refer to myself as a retired banker. I refer to myself as a recovering banker. There are lawyers, you have to find the lawyers you can work with. We had some lawyers, like every bank does, that are extremely conservative and are trying to protect the bank from every possible risk. And we had some lawyers who understood that some of the risks we faced weren't legal risks, they were reputational risks in the marketplace by not doing what we should be doing. And you have to appeal to their sense of, let's find a way to do this rather than telling me all the reasons why I can't do it. I, the compliance people will, will really put you through a mill, there's no question about it. And um, one of the reasons we don't do as much in the financial industry is because people have a hard time getting past the, the compliance issues. But yeah. One suggestion would be if you're doing something on product and it's a bank employee that's being interviewed, if you really re review 
with the Mac employee, they don't talk about any trailing terms. Stay away from rates, stay away from other things, you trigger other things, and talk more generic. Um, parking clients people are comfortable with that. So it, it's not triggering something like you would in an ad, but it's providing really good content and good information. Yeah, and I think I think Dennis is right. I think if, if yeah, I'm sorry. I was just telling you, I got my content approved before the taping, and then I mean, of course, there was some you know verbiage, sure. but then he had no problem with it. You know, so yeah, in fact, one of the things that uh, the, the the insurance client that I've been describing, they actually do run the scripts through the legal department first, and then we stay very close to the script when we're recording the interview, so they don't have to go back and listen to it. But you know. If it's a video, if it's done properly, it's not a commercial for your products and services. It's people talking about how they can help solve a problem. It's people demonstrating that they have some subject matter expertise just by having a conversation with an interviewer. And what that does is it gives people something to hang their hat on when they say, you know, I like the way they describe that problem. I like the way they feel they can handle it. I'm going to talk to them. Um, and it, again, it's not about viral, it's about the few people who have that problem finding you and coming to you and deciding by listening to your expertise that they want to do business with you. It does mean changing the way you think about putting together content. It, it, it really is that kind of a strategy. You, you can't wait for a reporter to read your press release. Marty's happy to read your press releases, I'm sure, if he has an assignment that he wants to use them in. But the important thing is, it's a, it's a, and this is a great banking word, disintermediation, right? We talk about that all the time with, you know, people using mobile phones to bank instead of going in to speak to a teller. I, the best thing that happened to me was when they started letting me take pictures of my checks for deposits. Man, I don't have to leave my office. It's the best thing. I sit there with my cell phone and take pictures of checks if I have a check to take a picture of. But becoming the media means thinking differently. And it, it does take some bank executives out of their comfort zone because, you know, you have to be a little bit more realistic. It can't be sugar-coated the way we're accustomed to doing things in a press release. You know, you have to, you have to kind of like cover the story and make it sound somewhat objective. And, and believe me, if it looks like a commercial, people will click away. They're not going to look at it. It, it has to be uh, something compelling and interesting to look at. Don Hewitt, who was the producer of 60 Minutes for most of its run, had four words that he would tell the reporters if they were having trouble putting together a report. He four words, tell me a story. And so if you can come up with a way to tell the bank's story in a video, starting with the customer, Here's, you know, Joe Builder who had a problem getting financing to build this great development. He, he, pictures of him at the construction site with his hard hat on, talking to his workers, and then to, and his voice talking about the problem he had. And then cut away to the banker who's calm and self-assured and knows how to solve Joe Builder's problem. That's the kind of thing that people will stop and look at. Any other questions at this point? Yeah. Do you feel that a presence on social media is essential to a bank's marketing PR plan today? I Given the compliance risks, the risk of reputation, uh, or, or can a bank avoid I, I think the genie is out of the bottle. The question is, should, can a bank avoid being on social media? I think as we saw the last time I spoke when I put up a Twitter search that Marty wrote about uh, showing what people were saying about banks, uh, you know, it was it, it's over two decades ago that the uh, folks who wrote the book The Clue Train Manifesto 
uh, came out with the, the absolutely essential point to understand if you're a marketer, and that is that markets are conversations. And you, as the product company, uh, better be in that conversation because people are going to continue to talk about you whether you're in the conversation or not. Many, many years ago, I went to a conference where uh, David Cherbuck, who at the time wrote for, I think, Fortune magazine, was on a panel about this new crazy thing called the Internet. This is like 93 or 94. And he was describing an area of the Internet that almost nobody thinks about today. We all know the web and web browsers and the, the social sites, but he was talking about something called the Usenet. How many of you are familiar with Usenet? Right. Usenet is like a bunch of chat rooms. There are about 30 or 40,000 conversations going on in the Usenet. It's like Citizens Band Radio. If you don't have a radio in your car tuned to the channel, you don't know that the conversation's even taking place. These 30 or 40,000 conversations range from very high-level conversations about computer science and high-level mathematics all the way down to the lowest level of things that are not safe to talk about at a bank marketing conference. And these conversations go on 24-7. He was involved in a, a chat room on the Usenet that was talking about fishing and fishing equipment. He was an avid fly fisherman, and he said there's a company that's very prominent in the industry. They had just come out with a new rod and reel for fly fishermen. And he said it was performing badly, and people were trashing it in the conversations in this room. And he said, I know for a fact this company is not participating in the conversation. They have no clue that people are giving this bad feedback. And he says next month when their sales fall off a cliff, they're not going to know why. Um, the same thing was illustrated. How many of you remember the Pentium 3 chip from Intel? When the Pentium 3 chip came out, there was a problem in the way it performed math calculations. I won't go into the, the real details. You can talk to me afterwards if you're interested. But there was a group of computer scientists on the Usenet who were discussing the fact that this arithmetic wasn't being performed properly, and it could cause the chip to make mistakes in mathematical calculations. Intel joined the discussion and poo-pooed it. They said, you know, this is a very, very unusual glitch. It can only happen if certain things happen in a particular sequence. And in response to that assertion from Intel, one of the professors in the group built a very simple Excel spreadsheet that demonstrated, real simply, how it could make a mistake happen in math simple mathematics. It wasn't just an arcane thing that was going to not be a problem, as Intel wanted people to believe. There happened to be a Wall Street Journal reporter monitoring that discussion group, and he wrote about it. And it ended up with Intel having to recall millions of Pentium 3 chips before they even shipped and you know, re-releasing it with a fix for that particular bug. You can't underestimate the, the impact that these conversations will have if you're not there monitoring them. As marketing people, as PR people, as communications professionals, it's our job to be able to tell our management when there's a problem. And not, not being a player there, even if you're just monitoring it. You know, Comcast was one of the early adopters of Twitter, and they spent the first six months just listening to what people were saying before they even entered the conversation. But once they entered the conversation, they entered it gingerly and respectfully and simply said to people who were complaining, can we help? And it changes the whole equation when you are there and willing to listen and learn from it. There are companies doing it badly. There are companies who, if somebody posts something negative on their Facebook wall, they take it down. 
And then the person who posted the negative thing then announces on Twitter and on their own Facebook page, I posted something on Bank X's Facebook page, but they took it down. I guess they're scared of you know, negative comments. You can't be scared of it. You have to take the negative with the positive if you're going to have the conversation. But the key thing is, can you respond to it in a way that makes it look like you care enough to try to fix it? Because people don't post that stuff except when they get frustrated. And if you're publishing a lot of content about the good things that you're doing, you have to be prepared to answer to the things that they think are bad things. I'm happy to uh, talk to anybody afterwards, and uh, I thank you very much for the opportunity. And that will wrap things up for this edition of the Lubetkin on Communications podcast. We hope you enjoyed the program. If you have comments or suggestions about these programs, please write to us. My email address is steve at lubetkincommunications.com. We produce these programs in the studios of Lubetkin Global Communications in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, on the web at lubetkin.net. For everyone at Lubetkin Communications, this is Steve Lubetkin. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you out there on the net. Take good care.